All right, our scripture passage today is from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And these verses can be found on page 417 of those blue pew Bibles that you have next to you. Job, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and a very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please pray with me as we open this text. Father, we come before you and we praise you for this time to study. We praise you for this time to hear from you. Father, you are the one who sets the meal before us. We read it in Psalm 100, how you prepare for us a table. Uh, Excuse me, in Psalm 23, how you prepare for us a table. um, And you anoint us with your blessing. Father, we read in Isaiah 55 of how your invitation is to come to you and delight from you of the richest affair. Jesus, we have sung over and over about the gratitude that is in our hearts because you have shed your blood for us. Father, you said that the lifeblood is sacred because in it is life. And Jesus, you gave your life for us. You have paid the price for our sins and we are forgiven. Father, you know our struggle to believe that we are forgiven. Our struggle to live out of that forgiveness. And Father, you know who is here today who has yet to believe that they are forgiven. So Father, we ask that you would send your spirit and that you would work among us, that you would make us aware of what you are doing, that you would create in us a fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom, a fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Father, we ask that you would feed us by your word preached so that we might be prepared to be fed by your word at the table. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the word who became flesh and you gave your body and your blood for us. Father, we long to see Christ. And for that to be the case, we need you to work to bring clarity to bring conviction, and to bring confidence. 
Would you help us see Jesus in all of his glory? Lord Jesus, we pray with boldness like this because you, even now, are seated at the right hand of the Father. You have said that you open for us the throne room of grace, that we might receive from you the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. Father, we confess to you that we come before you as needy persons. We are very, very needy. And we ask, would you show up in ways that we have barely dared to dream or even to desire? Father, thank you for these promises. And on them, we come to you with great confidence, expectant of what you're going to do. In your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. So we finally come to the story of Job. Nathan and I have spent the last four weeks preparing ourselves for this. If you want to hear any of those sermons, you can go online and listen to them. We talked about the fear of the Lord, what it is, that orientation, that awe-filled orientation toward God in all aspects of life that lead to obedience, the fear of the Lord. And Nathan talked about the way that that fear of the Lord moves from our heads to our hearts as we discover God's commitment to putting that fear of the Lord in us. And we have learned, as it says in Proverbs over and over, as it says in Job 28, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or that the fear of the Lord is wisdom, right? And last week, that's what we looked at in Job 28 and also in Proverbs 8. We had four questions last week that we looked at, and in review, we're just going to read them so we remember them, so that they're before us as we enter into these five verses. What is wisdom, humanly speaking? And we've modified this direction slightly. It's this, the realization of and the right relationship to the realities that govern all of creation. Wisdom, humanly speaking, is this. The realization of and the right relationship to the realities that govern all of creation. There is active participation on our part. And these realities are the marks of God, the creator himself. What is the value of wisdom? Wisdom is more valuable than anything else we learn in Proverbs 8. Because wisdom aligns us with God and his purposes. Where is wisdom found, we asked. In part, throughout all creation, wherever one discerns these God-revealing realities. However, we learned from Job 28, the fullness of wisdom requires the fear of the Lord according to his self-revelation. And the last question from last week was, why is wisdom so often connected to suffering? This is an ongoing question through this book of Job. But here's our answer so far. Because the goodness inherent in all creation is unyielding, to the sin and the brokenness that we human beings have introduced into this world. It's our unavoidable participation in these two realities 
that result in suffering. In light of this unavoidable participation, this book of Job is such a gift to us, even from this start. There are two parts that I want to look at in these five verses. I want us to see the main point of this introduction. It's the first thing that we're going to look at. But the second thing that we are going to look at is the reality of exposure that these five verses reveal. So turn to those five verses for me, page 417. We're going to look at the main point of this introduction, the role of this introduction. Many have come to Job and said that Job is a masterpiece. I have found myself in studying it a a longing to be more creative than I am, a longing to be one of those who is able to create art. And in my mind, the movie that's created opens with a scene of a party in progress. Toasts are being offered and glasses are being clinked. There's laughter and there's celebration. And as the camera pulls out to include not just those partying, but two parents who are there filled with gratitude and pleasure. And the camera pulls out even further, even out the window of the room, to include the courtyard in which there's a waiting herd of spotless sheep ready for sacrifice. That's the picture of these five verses And the main point of these five verses is simply this. Job is an excellent human being. That's why these five verses are here. So that you and I come face to face with the reality that Job, the main character of this story, humanly speaking, as it unfolds to us, that Job is an excellent human being. In verse 1, we read that he is blameless and upright. That he feared God and he turned away from evil. The writer of Job is using the language of Proverbs 3.7, of Proverbs 14, to help us to understand that Job is the picture of the ideal of Israelite wisdom. Job is an excellent human being. We read that Job is blessed. He has 10 children, seven boys and three girls. According to that day and age, that was the right ratio. Many of you would argue with that, especially if you have more than three girls, you think girls are great. If you have more than two boys, you think I wouldn't want seven. But here we see that Job is blessed. Not only that, but Job is wealthy. We read that. Job is one of a good reputation. He is what we call virtuous. He is righteous. He is selfless. We see Job interceding. We see Job in his virtuousness. He is reasoning. It's possible that my children and their celebrations have cursed God. He acts out of that reasoning. He brings sheep 
so that his children might lay their hands on the sheep, that the sin might be conferred to those sheep, and that those sheep might be sacrificed for the possibility of his children's sin. Job's virtues are reasoned, acted out. And finally, in verse 5, we see that they are habitual. Right? Verse 5 ends with, Thus Job did continually. Job is an excellent human being. The next scene that you read will be overwhelming. But in that scene, you need to note that God himself notes that Job is an excellent human being. Not only that, but through the prophet Ezekiel, God actually uses Job as an example of righteousness. Four different times as he calls judgment onto the nation of Israel, he says even if Noah and Daniel and Job were here, even in their righteousness, they would only save themselves that God's judgment was for real. God himself notes Job for his righteousness. And the only other place that Job is mentioned in all of Scripture is the book of James. Where James writes of Job, the characteristic that stands out more than anything else. And if I asked you what it was, you would say the patience of Job, because that's how we use it all the time in our vernacular. But actually James uses the steadfastness of Job. That Job was steadfast as a righteous man. These five verses paint for us Job's story that is set in a moral universe described in the book of Proverbs where people are supposed to get what they deserve. <laughs> That's what we see in this main point. And what's interesting to me in my own heart as I studied this this week, was my initial reaction, knowing the story of Job, knowing the suffering that's about to be introduced, is just this deep desire in me to find holes in Job's life. <laughs> do you resonate with that at all? Do you read these five verses and do you look behind them to see surely there are holes in Job's life? But look again in those five verses. None are given, you all. None. And it led me to ask my own heart and your heart as well. Why do you want to find flaws in Job's character? Or in anyone else's character who suffers? Why do you want to find flaws... Okay, maybe your heart is not as dark as mine. Why does Bradley want to find flaws in someone's character who suffers? I think there are two reasons. One is the false notion that it is possible to have a life free from suffering. 
All right, we get it, right? The suffering from sinful choices, consequences, right? The world happens, things happen. You do one thing and there's a consequence that happens. We get that. But suffering all together. If, if we see suffering and we can find fault in one's character, we can maintain that false expectation that, that there is a possibility of life without suffering. But the moment that we cling to that, we hear the words of Jesus himself from John 16 that says, in this world, you will have suffering. But there's another reality of my heart and possibly of yours that is revealed in wanting to find the holes in Job. And that is this deep-seated commitment to earned results. A deep resistance to grace. If we could find the hole in Job that leads to the suffering that undoes us, maybe we would feel less out of control as we come to the book of Job. But the reality is, in a grace-driven economy, there is a loss of control. And in our own hearts is a deep struggle and desire to control And that control doesn't stop with just our lives, but with God as well. Do you look at these five verses and seek to find holes in Job? The main point that these five verses play in our study of Job moving forward is that Job is an excellent human being. Full stop. What does that do to you and me? Because this is the second point. If the first point is that the main point of those first five verses is that Job is an excellent human being, the second part of this servant is the reality of exposure. Job's exposure certainly but I might suggest ours as well. We return to the scene that I described for you, that scene of toasting and the clinking of glasses, of laughter and of celebration, and the camera pans out and and captures the parents of these ten couples who sit there and celebrate, filled with joy. I went to dinner with my barber this week, and as we walked, he said, the thing that I long for more than anything else is for my three children to love each other when they grow up, for them to be together when I die. And here you see that in this scene, don't you? And as the camera pulls out of the window and encaptures the courtyard that surrounds And these multitude, this herd of spotless sheep 
waiting to be sacrificed for the possibility that God's name had been cursed by these revelers. You see and hear in the distance lightning strike and thunder. Because you know where this story is going. Every time I read these verses, I wonder in the pit of my stomach, could this story not go another way? I have that same experience whenever I read Genesis 3, Satan in the garden with Adam and Eve, and I wonder, could this story not go another way? I have the same feeling every time Judas approaches Jesus in the garden to kiss him, and I wonder, couldn't I read it this time, and Jesus doesn't actually, or Judas doesn't actually kiss Jesus? It strikes me this way every time I think about Peter denying Christ before that little girl around the fire and finally cursing himself and saying, I never knew him. It's the same pit that is in my stomach when I read this. Because if Job is an excellent human being, not just every man, Job is an excellent human being, that if this could happen to Job, it could happen to anyone. It could happen to me. And in these five verses... I am exposed. I think there's also something else in these five verses, and maybe particularly for us. There's also something about Job's wealth that is very exposing. I think you feel it. I think you know of wealth, how quickly it can be lost. That wealth does not protect. That wealth, in some sense, even in Job's story, separates. The default with wealth is that we think of all that wealth can possibly buy, right? Happiness, well-being, reputation, control, all these things that are in this story. And we're exposed. Our hearts are uncovered. Because we read this story of Job and it strikes at the very heart of the things that we are afraid of the most. That which we are afraid of losing. What you fear is what your life is oriented around. Remember, we talked about the fear of the Lord is an 
awe-filled orientation of God in all aspects of life that leads to obedience. But here, we see and feel that which we orient our lives around. The hub of the wheel, right? Those of us from Boston, we ought to be used to this, right? You know that Boston is the hub of the universe, right? Everybody knows that. Boston's the hub of the universe. The Bruins, the hockey team, right? They're the hub of hockey. That's why you have a wheel and a hub on a Boston's Bruins t-shirt, right? Even though somehow, Boston being the hub of hockey, you have to have this inflow of Canadians for it to possibly even exist. I mean, it can't be the hub of hockey with all these Canadians coming through. It's gotta be fed somewhere else. But you understand this idea of the hub, right? This thing that's at the center. That everything is oriented toward the hub. You know how a bicycle wheel works, right? that it's got this freewheel, and inside the hub are these levers that pop out when you turn it, and they engage with the hub, and they turn the wheel, and your life is propelled, right? That's how a hub works. These levers of engagement that you apply effort to, and they result in forward momentum, motion, progress, purpose. We read this verse of Job. And this is the question that you and I are left with. What are those levers of engagement that if removed systematically one by one would leave you motionless? Frozen completely disillusioned. If you would take the time to answer that list, these would be the items that you fear. And these six verses expose us. But I want to ask you to wait for a minute. Before you shut down, before you turn away and say, this is too much, before you say, I, I, I'm not willing to go there, I want you to stop. Before you retreat into self-protection, I want you to know that this book of Job ultimately exposes God. The ultimate exposure that this book of Job adds to human life is not the frailty of your life. You and I already feel that. Every time you put on your seatbelt, you recognize the very reality of death. But what is ultimately exposed in this book of Job is God himself. Because you and I sit at these verses knowing what is to follow, and whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you ask, what kind of God is this in this story? And that's the whole point. 
I want you to think about, just for a minute, the broad brushstrokes of Job. Job, the man in this story. Broad brushstrokes. What are they? Righteous man who suffers tremendously, through whom God is glorified and who intercedes for his friends. Broad brushstrokes of Job. Does it sound familiar? You know anybody like that? Righteous man. Suffers tremendously. Through whom God is glorified. Who intercedes for his friends. It made me immediately turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And to read this. As Paul writes. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Again, we have asked you, will you look at this story through the lens of the fear of God? being the key to wisdom. Who does the book of Job expose? In closing, let's recognize that this human narrative is deeply unsettling. We have been shaped far too much in our culture by the happy endings of our own fairy tales. The human narrative of Job is deeply unsettling. I was speaking with an older, wiser man, all right, so my father this week, and my dad said, look, when you get to Job's wife, you need to take it easy on her. You need to understand that she has lost all 10 of her children. This is very true. And listen, we're going to proceed with caution, but we do need to proceed into this story because this is a gift to us that we might learn more about our God. I want to tell you that pastorally, the closest brush that I have ever had 
with this degree of sorrow and suffering was in August of 2011. My youngest female cousin was killed in a truly unexplainable way. There is a grief, a grief of which the weight is expressed in all of our senses. My uncle, whose daughter was killed, asked me to help him find a verse for the front of the order of service for her memorial. I racked my brain. And I thought, Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. And my uncle was not satisfied with that. How how could you be satisfied? But he turned to Lamentations 3 and he sat at my parents' table and he read the context of Lamentations 3 while choking back his emotions. He read, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And he put all of that on the front of that order of service. I received a tweet this week. And the tweet simply read like this. Friends, this weekend we can, one, be still and know that our Father is God, Psalm 46. Or two, we can be anxious and live like we don't have a good, sovereign, loving Father. Or three, we can be angry and wish that we were God. Let's pick number one. The reason these five verses are before us is so that we might understand that Job was an excellent man. But they're also here for us to be exposed and for the expectation that God himself would be exposed. Let's go to this table where the the righteous man suffered even death for us, that God might be glorified and that he might intercede for his friends. Will you go with me there in prayer?